Psalms chapter number 51. Thank you for the wonderful introduction. And for all those of you that used to hate me and now love me, I love you too. I love people that love me. Well, you say, that's all considered. No, that's God-like. He said the same thing in Proverbs. Amen. So, uh, well, word bless the Lord. I was thinking, and I'm going to be brief. I'm going to get out of the preacher's way tonight. Um, but uh, I was thinking, Brother Nick, as you got singers stuck on the road and everything, I said, my goodness, we had one year at the camp meeting. We had five of our main preachers cancel on us. Some of them got sick. Some of them couldn't make it. Some of them had me carry on. Luckily, that year, there wasn't nobody mad at us. So, um, say amen right there. That was supposed to be funny, but y'all didn't think so. <laughs> Hey, man, first night of meeting, we're going to have to break the ice real hard. We've got to get the big sledgehammer out. Bishop, did you bring any dynamite with you tonight? Hey, man, we'll blow her sky high. Hey, man. But it's an honor to be here, and I, I love you, Brother Nick. Love this church, and I'm thankful for all of you that are here. My home church, Pastor Philip, thank you for moving the services down. Even knowing I was preaching, thank you for coming anyways. Hey, Amen. And I bless the Lord. I'm going to do something tonight that I don't typically do. I'm going to read the whole chapter, and I just really sense a seriousness about the message tonight, and uh, I let's stand reverence to the reading of Psalms chapter number 51. This is Psalms 51. If you've been saved any length of time at all, especially if you've sinned against God, hopefully you've learned to pray this chapter. To my shame, I quote this chapter somewhere along the line to God every day of my life. I'd love to be able to go to God in prayer and not have to confess a sin. Well, you, Brother John, I ain't confessed a sin in five years to God, and I pray you ain't getting your prayers heard. The Bible said, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. So as we read the Psalms tonight, this is David's Psalm of getting right with God. The heading says to the chief musician, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet came unto him after he had gone into Bathsheba. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me throughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Just couldn't get it out of his face. He'd go to bed, there it was. He'd wake up, there it was. He'd eat lunch, there it was. His sin was just right there in his face. And until you thoroughly get right with God, that's where it's going to be. It ain't going anywhere. That's why we've got so many people that struggle. And I, I, I know that there may be some amongst us tonight that use, I, I have mental problems. Don't get upset at me when I say this. But a lot of times I wonder... If there's not a guilty conscience that's not being dealt with. Now, I didn't say that rude or arrogant. And if you have those kind of problems, I'm not accusing you. But a lot of times, that's the main problem. Why there's no joy in our Baptist churches. Why there's no peace in your heart. Why you can't get no consistency. Is there's a guilty conscience somewhere. And he said, for I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against thee, thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. That thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. 
Make me to hear joy and gladness, that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins, and blot out all mine iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and uphold me with thy free spirit. Then, and only then, then will I teach transgressors thy ways. And sinners shall be converted unto thee. Right there. Verse 13 is the reason people ain't getting saved in our Baptist churches. Deliver me from blood guiltliness, O God. Thou God of my salvation and my tongue shall sing aloud of thy righteousness. O Lord, open thou my lips and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. For thou desirest not sacrifice, else will I give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. Do good in thy good pleasure unto Zion, build thou the walls of Jerusalem, then shalt thou be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness, with burnt offering and whole burnt offering, then shall they offer bullocks upon thine altar. Fathers, abide in your presence. I humble myself. Lord, I pray you'd give me grace to humble myself. Lord, I dare not ask thee to humble me, but give me enough sense to humble myself. And I pray all of us would come before your presence tonight with humility. Lord, you said you resist the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. Lord, I humbly, Lord, ask thee, O righteous God, would you search the deep part of our hearts tonight? Lord, I really believe you've given me Friday night's message for Sunday night. And I pray that you'd do a work in the hearts of your people in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. I like this psalm because somebody's finally getting honest. As I said a moment ago, this is David's psalm of getting right with God. And tonight, I, I couldn't think of a better title, a better theme, a better text than the title of the message this tonight, Get Right With God. I love to ride out Highway 25 past Smiley's Flea Market and look at the old concrete cross. And we need to go fix it. It's about falling down and tore apart. But it says, get right with God. And I couldn't think of a better message to God's people, to the world, to the saved or to the lost tonight, as to say, get right with God. And I look in the mirror and say it to myself. I look at you and say it to you. Get right with God. David is sinned with Bathsheba against Uriah, her husband. But in his confession, he gets straight to the root of the problem. Verse number four, against thee the only of thy sin and done this evil in thy sight. He makes no excuses for why he did what he did. Us Baptists, we've got an excuse for every second of the day. David didn't say, now, Lord, you know I've been in battle and my wife, she's been inconsistent with me and things ain't been right at home and I, I had an opportunity to go do this and I did it. No, he didn't give one excuse. He just simply said, I've messed up. I've sinned against the only. And I believe we'd get rid of every excuse we got. They got excuses for the pills, excuses for the drugs, excuses for the dope, excuses for the adultery, the fornication. You name any sin you want to. Man and the devil's got every excuse that you can come up with tonight for why man sins. But David kicks the excuses out and he makes this wonderful statement. I have sinned. 
be a glad day in our lives when we do that. David has sinned with Bathsheba. There was a time when the kings went to battle and the kings were supposed to show up and they were supposed to fight with their swords and David stayed at home at bed and instead of going to battle and one night he gets out of his own bed and he looks across the uh, kingdom and he sees a lady by the name of Bathsheba who is married to one of his best uh, loyal servants and she's on the rooftop bathing and, and uh, she uh, he sees her, he immediately calls for her, she comes in, she was just as wrong as he was. Uh, she should have said, no, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to give in to this sin. But she consented to it. And so now they're both guilty. Uh, Bathsheba becomes uh, up with child and she's got a baby on the way. And it ain't her husband's baby. And it's the king's child. And so David finds out that he's got an illegitimate child on the way. So he calls Uriah off of the battlefield. And Uriah comes in. David gets him drunk, feeds him up tries to talk him into going down to his house uh, to lay with his wife uh, so that he would think that was his child. It didn't work two nights in a row. Uh, Uriah had something David didn't have. Uh, he had something Bathsheba didn't have. Uh, he had some loyalty. Uh, he had some character. Uh, he had some discipline. Uh, he said, how in the world can I go lay with my wife uh, when the ark of God's out there on the battlefield? Uh, when Israel's out there on the battlefield, I'll not do this thing. Uh, so he slapped with a shirt in the king's palace. David did not succeed in pulling his little hypocritical cover your sins trick up. So David wrote a letter. Sent it by the hands of Uriah. Boy, I, I see this and I said in my mind, how in the world could you do this, David? How could you stab somebody in the back that's been as faithful to you as he has? And he writes Uriah's death letter. And Uriah has to carry his own death letter to Joab. Joab reads it and says, well, okay, I'll do what the king says. They put him in the hottest part of the battle and they retire from him. They back off. The enemy kills Uriah. He dies. Uh, the only thing honorable about Uriah's death, uh, how he died was very dishonorable. Why he died was very dishonorable. But where he died, there's all kinds of honor in that because he died on the battle field with a sword in his hand and a shield fighting the good fight of faith. That's the only good thing that you can say about Uriah's death. Word comes back to David. Uriah's dead. They think everything's all right. They think they got it all covered up. Bathsheba moves in the palace, becomes David's wife. Here they go and all of a sudden God has had enough of this, and God sends Nathan, number one tonight, why we should get right with God, why you should get right with God, is because God sent a message. Amen. Brother, I'm telling you, God loaded up old Nathan and said, I want you to go down there to David's house, and I want you to look him in his God-given eyeballs, and I want you to reprove him, to rebuke him. Can I just for a minute say thank God for every time that God ever sent me a message. I didn't always like it when I got rebuked. I didn't always like it when I got reproved. I didn't always like it when God had a man stick his finger in my face and say thou art the man. Oh, But when it was over and the message come my way, I'd have to say glory to God that God cared enough about me to have a preacher I preach the word of God to me. I love this message 
God has given Nathan the gift to David. He he said he gets one and it gets him right in the heart, brother James. Nathan goes to David and he says, uh, uh, "David, there's they, two men in one city, and one man's a rich man and the other man's a poor man. Uh, the rich man's got herds and flocks in abundance, and and the and the poor man uh, uh, just had one a little lamb and raised him up. The Bible specifically says that that lamb was as a daughter to that man. He that that lamb." drank out of his cup, even ate at his table. He was he was really that lamb was really close under that man and the rich man had some company come into town. And and the rich man didn't want to kill anything out of his own flock. So he went down there and he took that poor man's lamb. And and there's a message in that right there, the poor man's lamb. And Brother Doug, they take it and kill it and dress it and eat it. And Nathan's telling this to David and this message relates to David. He's been a shepherd in days gone by he knows exactly what that's like to take care of the sheep and not only is it a message that David could relate to but but God cast the the bait out there and David takes it hook, line and sinker and Nathan's reeling it in and boy he reels him in and then all of a sudden as David's anger is coming to a boiling point and he said we're going to have that man killed he's going to repay him for his soul we'll take care of that guy Nathan looks at him and says hey Thou art the man. And brother, I'm telling you, God dropped the hammer on him and said, Hey, you need to get right with God. God exposed David in this message. You can run. You can leave a Bible preaching church, but somebody will preach to you somewhere along the line. And so I'm going to quit listening to my preacher and I'm going to go listen to Charles Stanley or, or Adrian Rogers or somebody like that. And, and, uh, and I know they probably didn't take a stronger stand as we'd like to, but I promise you somewhere along the line, Adrian Rogers is going to nail your sin to the wall. You won't hear Joel Osteen do it, but there'll be some man of God come along and preach it. You'll turn your radio station on and you'll be listening to your liberal preachers and all of a sudden one got on there by accident that had some bold about him and he'll call your sin out and if that ain't enough when these little boys and little girls get old enough to talk your little boy will look at you and say something like this mama how come you ain't happy anymore you ain't got no joy get right with God and God will put it on your little boy and put it on your little girl and reprove you and rebuke you and they won't even know they're doing it but in your heart of hearts you'll know God just sent a message of reproof to you. A stranger will come up and rebuke you. I'll never forget it. My wife and I and the children, we were in Arkansas several years ago and there was a young blonde-headed lady came in and, and I noticed her. She came in. She, was a, she, she wasn't dressed modest, but she wasn't dressed terribly immodest and, and she had a boy with her. Man, he had tattoos all over him, had earrings in his ears and his nose and his lips and I just looked and I said in my heart, that is off. Something ain't right. And when they sit down, the Holy Ghost told me to go over there and talk to her and I eat my meal and I put it off and he kept on nudging me so finally I went over there and I said ma'am I said I don't know you you don't know me I, but God the Holy Ghost told me to come tell you something I looked at that boy sitting there and I said sir don't you take offense to this it's obvious you need Jesus you need to be born again but I'm fixing to tell her what God told me to tell her I looked at that girl and I said what in the world's a saved girl doing with a lost boy and she looked at me and she broke down and she started crying 
uncontrollably. And she looked at me and said, Sir, you're the second stranger that's come up to me and asked me that question. Brother, I tell you, God's wanting that girl to hear a message. What I'm trying to tell you, you can run, you can hide, but somewhere along the way, God's going to find a way to give you a message to let you know you ain't right with God. No matter what your sin is, he'll do it. I'll never forget we was over at the Camp Tonawanda over there at the bottom of Bain Mountain years ago, probably 30 years ago, Brother Doug, before I got born again. And uh, we had partied hard that night, and it was midnight, and I was walking through the cafeteria, and the secular radio station came on, and they had their rock and roll music blaring and their wicked, ungodly music blaring. And at midnight, I heard the announcer say something like this. Well, folks, we've been playing rock and roll all day, and we're going to play one gospel song tonight. And they started singing, I'll fly away. And when I heard that, I stopped at attention. And the Holy Ghost said, you ain't right with me. You ain't right with God. You know what God did in the middle of a, God wouldn't do that. What do you ask Nebuchadnezzar if God would do that? If God would show up in the middle of a party, in the middle of wickedness and ungodliness. There are those we've been praying for. They're out doing things tonight. We wouldn't dare go do it with them or sit down where they're doing it at. I'm glad, thank God. There's a God in heaven that can get a message out of where they are and get the gospel and get a message. I'm just simply trying to tell you tonight you ought to get right with God because he sent a message. A message of revelation. God has revealed. David, yes, he's been exposed to the world. Yes, he's been exposed to the soldiers. Yes, he's been exposed to his kingdom. But there's one person David hadn't really been exposed to that needed to be exposed to. Who was that? David needed to be exposed to David. David, man, you're so scared with the secret sins that everybody on planet Earth is going to find out. And everybody's going to be talking about you and thinking about you and running their mouth about you. You get all nervous about that. I'm going to tell you who needs to be exposed. You need to be exposed to yourself tonight. Now, we spend a lot of time, don't we? We spend a lot of time talking about what we've done. Have you ever said that? I can't believe I thought that. I can't believe I said that. Have you ever said anything like this? I cannot believe I did that. Has anybody ever come, has your parents ever came to you and looked at you and said something like this? What have you done now? And I believe where we have missed it is not. And there's nothing wrong, don't get me wrong, of exposing sin. But we spend way too much time, I'm afraid, on what we've done. That needs to be brought up. But if that's as far as it goes, what have I done, what have I done, then you're not going to get any help. God told, David told the Lord, y'all, you, you desire truth in the inward parts and in the hidden part, thou shalt make me no wisdom. It ain't the what I've done that we need to keep on hammering and hammering and hammering. It's the who I am. It's to thank you, Jesus, let me look in the mirror and, Lord, would you show me who I am? Because who I am is why I did what I did. 
that what I did is the outward stuff, but that who I am is the inward stuff. And when we come to the conclusion of what we are and who we are, neighbor, that's when God can work godly repentance in us. And the wicked get thoroughly right with God. Quit blaming it on your bringing. Quit blaming it on a busted up home. Quit blaming it on a, a, a divorce in the home or, or a drunk daddy or a doping mama. You can't blame it on that. That ain't gonna hold water at the judgment seat of Christ. Don't blame it on a backslid wife or a backslid husband. If you ain't right with God tonight, it ain't nobody's fault but yours. Amen or not? I know this ain't camp meeting, but it's revival. God exposed David to David when the Lord exposes us to ourselves. Turning the lights on concerning ourselves. The psalmist said, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in and lead me in the way everlasting. You ever really get serious about seeking God, walking with God? When you get to that part in your prayer time, and I know people get critical at you for quoting verses while you're praying. I'm not quoting them for God. I'm quoting them for me. I'm not crowbarring God with them. I'm crowbarring John with them, neighbor. And I get to that part and say, Lord, you said the psalmist said, search me. Oh, God, know my heart. Try me. Know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way. Lord, you won't have to look too far to find fault with me. You won't have to look too far, God. Just turn the lights on and God, give me grace to repent. Get right with God because God sent a message. Number two tonight. Verse one, the Bible said, have mercy upon me, oh God. Number two tonight, you ought to get right with God because he's had mercy on us. <laughs> I mean, do you think about this? I mean, listen, and I know we're not supposed to compare ourselves among ourselves. Because if you do that, man, you're not wise. But can we just for a moment compare David to Saul? When I look at what David did with Bathsheba, having a loyal soldier killed compared to what King Saul did, I say, Saul, what you did ain't a drop in a bucket compared to what David did. Boy, it got quiet right there, didn't it? Let's kick Saul out. Let's run him off. What about David? And God, God stripped the kingdom from Saul. He had mercy on him too. It went a long time. God took the kingdom from Saul and gave it to David. God put David on the throne. But God didn't take the throne away from David. You, you want to talk about mercy? We ought to be shouting tonight. A lot of us are just like Jonah was. I think about him often. Brother Philip, I think about how merciful God was to him. Had him swallowed by a whale. What if it had been a shark? <laughs> Jonah wouldn't have made it out alive. No, no. That's the mercy of God. All I can think of tonight is that we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And no, he's not going to put up with our sin, but how has he had mercy on us or has he not? And none of us, even after God saved us knowing what was going to be after we got saved. But yet he saved us anyways. And God hadn't, hadn't took us on home yet. And God didn't let us get killed in a car wreck yet. And God didn't send judgment yet. And it seems like every time God the Father would drop thy gavel down in judgment on us that the Son, our advocate, would reach up there and put his hand in between the gavel and the thing's going to hammer down on 
before him. And God the Father would look at God the Son and say, all right, I'll have mercy on him again. How many times God had mercy on us? I mean, don't you worry about how hot it is in here. It's a whole lot hotter in hell. We should have been in hell or jail a long time ago, but here we are in the house of God. I don't deserve to be a preacher, neither do you. I don't deserve to have a good family, neither do you. But here we are. Why? Because God has had mercy on us. Brother John, you don't know what I've been through. You're still living and breathing clean air, ain't you? You're still serving God, ain't you? You're still walking with God, ain't you? Mercy. Every time I think about mercy, I think about Luke chapter number 16. That poor rich man burning in hell. He said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. There wasn't none to be found. There was a crowd in hell and a crowd in paradise, and there was a gulf that separated them. For those that were in hell, it was a gulf of condemnation, judgment, wrath. But for those that were in paradise... It was a gulf of the mercy of God holding back what they deserve. That's what God's mercy is tonight is God not giving us what we deserve. I, 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 believe, in, I believe in whipping your children. I, I really do. I, I really think, and I don't want to hurt your feelings, but I think hey, some of you in here tonight, you're doing your family an injustice by not disciplining your children with a belt or a rod. Amen. Amen. Whip a fire out of them. Whip them. You keep your hands off your hips, ma'am, when your husband goes to whipping your children. And don't you dare let something come out of your mouth like this. You ain't whipping my babies. They need whippings. You know they do. And I, I used to, when all three of my children, and I've done it just a handful of times, they would, they would all three need a whooping at the same time. I'd go in the bedroom and I'd get the big belt out. I didn't like that little belt business. Just deal with it. I remember there's sometimes I'd line them all three up at one time. I'd, I'd be so mad. I'm going to whip all three of you at the same time. You keep jumping. It's going to last till you stand still. Y'all have sinned. You ain't right. And I'm going to help you out. Get down and have prayer with them. Now, Lord, help these children get out of this whipping what they need. Help me not to overdo it. Help me not to underdo it. Give me grace to be the godly example of a father and leader and help me whip them right. Boy, and I'd have them standing there with their hands on the bedpost. I'd say, you give me that rear end, I'd make them bend over real good. And I said, don't you be putting your hand. If you get hit on your hands, it's your own fault. Amen. That's what's wrong with some Baptists. That's why they're bitter. God took them to the woodshed and they tried to put their hands in the way and they got their hands hurt. <laughs> Amen. And they'd be standing there and boy, they'd be all crying. And JP and his two sisters, Elizabeth, boy, she'd cry. She'd have tears shooting out her eyes two foot. I'm telling that girl... She could, but I didn't hold back for her much crying neither, amen. And uh, I'd stand there and I'd get the belt and I'd you'd turn around there and I'd take that belt and I'd put it back on. And they'd be standing waiting on the whipping. Finding one of them would get enough nerve to turn around and look and see what was going on. I'd be standing there, I mean on my knees with my arms wide open. And they'd turn around and look, and I'd have one word to say. And I'd just start saying it over and over again, mercy, mercy. I not only wanted to teach them about the judgment of God, but I wanted to teach them about the mercy of God too. Neighbor, how many times, you hear me and hear me well, should a God just drop the hammer on us? 
But instead, he opened up his arms and he had tender love. The multitude of thy tender mercies. Oh, boy, I've drove myself crazy a few times studying the Bible, trying to figure out how many mercies God actually has. <laughs> hey, he said they're new every morning. Hey, and brother, I had to get right with God because he's had mercy on you and he ain't dropped the hammer of his judgment on you. You ought to get right with God because of the message. Get right with God because of the mercies. You ought to get right with God, David, because you are the chief musician to the chief musician. Oh, don't you want a song in your heart? I love waking up with a song in my heart. I do. I love it with all my heart. I love waking up with how firm a foundation. I love waking up in my heart and... And God let me hear the do you know how it feels or, or I sing because or, or uh, uh, but, oh, Natalie sometimes I wake up with that song I am so blessed. I go to bed with a song on your heart and you got song but hey you keep a song on your heart neighbor it'll help you stay right with God and stay clean and stay pure. He said to the chief musician I guess I don't have liberty to really labor this point but there's no song to sing when you're wrong. There's no harmony, there's no melody, there's no sweetness. David is called the sweet psalmist of Israel and for a solid year in his life he doesn't write a song, he doesn't record a song, he doesn't sing a song. The birds have quit singing in his heart. You know how it is when you're right with God. You can't wait to pray. So excited to get to your secret place. How long has it been since you've been so excited about getting some time just alone with you and God. Well, I can't wait to get to my secret place. How long has it been since you couldn't wait till you got your Bible and you sit there and you just read it and loved on God and God loved on you? Oh, the days when you couldn't wait for church night to come around. Oh, it's Monday. I know we just had church yesterday, but I can't wait till Wednesday night. I'm looking forward to going to the house of God. And you got a song in your heart. And I guess the main theme that I'm trying to, on this particular point is get back to doing what God called you to do. You can't disqualify yourself from the pulpit ministry, but I don't see any words where you can disqualify yourself from getting right with God and being a prayer warrior, being a faithful church member. Maybe even getting in a, in a teaching ministry somewhere, somehow, in a good local Baptist church. you got something you're supposed to be doing. Do it. If I was to quit, I believe God would kill me. I've wanted a time or two, but God ain't never let me. I think the longest I've ever quit in my whole entire life, of 27 years of being a God-called preacher, was about two minutes. you fire burning in your bones. God's got something for every one of us to be doing. He, you ought to get right with God. But then, this one, and I hope some way, somehow, that I, uh, that if you don't get nothing else I preach, I hope what I'm fixing to say puts you on such a guilt trip you can't even sleep tonight. He says in verse number five, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. David is in no way, fashion, shape, or form blaming this sin on his mama. He is teaching us that his mother conceived him in sin. That's the sin nature. But let me lift that word mother out of this verse just for a minute. For no other reason you ought to get right with God for mama. 
for real. For real. I look, I look around the building. Some of y'all had some really godly mamas. I know my wife and Philip, boy, had just a godly mama. Sister Deborah, I, I don't say this probably enough, but I think in the world of your mama, I think she was just one of the most precious, precious, godly, loved on me. I'll never forget that last time I seen her alive. She grabbed my hand and pulled me down where I could hear her real good, and she said, I love you, John. And she meant every word of it. How would it feel? You got a godly mama. You bishop girls got a godly mama. You Morgan girls, and boy, y'all got a godly mama. And you Kirkendall children, you got a godly mama. And it all, all around the room. I called. If I missed you, don't don't think I was overlooking you because of it. But you got a mama. You ought to stay right with God because you're mama. How do you think it must have been for David when he knew that word was going to get back to his parents? My mom ain't everything she ought to be, but I love her. You hear me? I love my mama. I do. I love her. Boy, she is a pistol, if there's ever been a pistol. Amen. I ever get mad at somebody want to cuss, I'll let her do my cussing for me, okay? I love my mama, and she loves her boys. Boy, but if news ever got back to my mama, that I throwed it all away. That would dishearten her. You know, my mama's the kind of woman that when God called me to preach, she got to paying attention to everybody calling me Brother John, man of God, preacher. She took a cigarette out of her mouth with one hand one night, put that finger in my face and said, I'm going to tell you something, John think I'm ever going to call you preacher, pastor, brother. You're crazy. I brought you into this world and I'll take you out of it. You're John to me, hoss. Amen. You try that junk with me and she's going to be on you like a chicken on a June bug. She's the only one that can be mean to me. But mama, get her heart broke. I've seen I've seen, boy, time would fail me to tell you. I could write a book, you could too, Brother Doug, of the broken-hearted mothers that we have prayed with on an altar, crying so uncontrollably that the tears and, the, and I'm not trying to be repulsive, but just the tears and the snot just, just broken by a child that got their heart, that ripped their mama's heart out. Get right with God. Your mama didn't raise you. I didn't raise a fornicator. We didn't raise adulterers. We didn't raise perverts. I was praying this past summer and asking God for some wisdom, and I, I kept hearing this saying over and over again, Don't make your children bitter! Can I tell you children something? Don't you make your parents bitter. Oh, we're going to walk around on eggshells. Don't whip them. That'll make them better. No, it'll make them better. If I become your enemy because I'm trying to make you better and make you holy and you get bitter, that's your problem. It ain't mine. I'll never forget as long as I live. I was in Ohio one year preaching a revival meeting and a man came up to me. It's been several years ago. 
man came up to me and he said, Brother John, I want to take you and the preacher out for lunch tomorrow. So we met and we ate lunch. And Brother Nick would go over there and we're sitting there eating and he begins to weep. He said, pray for my boy, Brother John. I said, I will. How old is he? He was in his 40s at the time. In his 40s. I said, if you got liberty to tell me about it, tell me. He said, uh, my son's been on drugs bad for years. Crack, meth, cocaine. Anything he can get his hands on. He said, he got to missing a month ago, Brother John. He said, and I got worried about him. So I went and I, I, I finally talked somebody into telling me where he was. And there's a crack house down on the other side of town. He said, I walked up in the front yard and it was all passed out and doped up. And I finally got somebody that was sober enough to tell me about where my son was. And they said, I think if that's the one you're talking about, he's inside. One of the back bedrooms. Said he walked in that house. An old man to go in there to find his 40-year-old dopehead boy. You say, I wouldn't have done that. Well, shame on you. I wouldn't have went to a crack house to get my son. Shame on you. Hey, man of God. You don't love your children enough to go after them? I know there may be a point in time where we got you know, separate and all that. Whatever, but... God forbid he'd ever come. He said, Brother John, I walked in there and I found my son laying on a bare wooden floor. No pillow, no blankets. Somebody had stripped all his clothes off of him and stolen them. And there my naked boy laid. And that man, tears running down his face in the middle of a restaurant, broken hearted, he said, I picked him up. I carried him to the truck. I covered him up. I took him home. I gave him a shower. We got him some help. He's in a rehab place right now. Pray for him. He said, my son's broken my wife's heart, broken my mother's heart. I, you want another story? I was in a revival meeting in Georgia several years ago, and an old man came up to me in his 80s. His eye was black. His nose had been broken. He was bruised all up. I said, what in the world happened to you? He said, my boy came home, needing some drugs, needing some dope, and he started robbing me. Me and my wife said something, and he got up and he beat me. I said, all I need is an address, and I'll go whoop your boy for you. You know what that man did? I said, I'm serious. There's five of us. We will go give him the whipping he deserves. He looked at me, and tears started running down his face, I, and I was amazed. He said, don't do it. Don't hurt him. Don't beat him. He said, that's my baby boy. See, you're going to break your mom and daddy's heart. You think you're sneaking around smoking a joint and getting in the back seat of a car with a boy or a girl somewhere. Nobody going to find out. Ain't going to hurt nothing. It's going to lead to a life that you don't want nothing to do with. You got stuff hid from your mama and hid from your daddy. If you don't get it down with in 10 years from now, you're going to be another illustration in one of my messages. Get right with God because your mama. I, I've seen them, buddy. I, I've seen them, brother. It's terrible. Get right with God. Nextly, so he can mend your broken bones. Verse number 8. Now, I'm done. 
he said, make me to hear joy and gladness that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Here's that shepherd heart of David coming out again. When the sheep would wander, the shepherd would go catch it and take his staff and break his front legs. And that's exactly what God has done to David. It wasn't for David's hurt. It was for David's good and God's glory. David's saying, Lord, you broke my bones. Because that baby that was conceived by Bathsheba died. Probably three-month-old baby. God took it. So that was cruel of God. No, it wasn't. That baby didn't have to grow up in that mess. Mend the bones, the brokenness. But then, get right with God so we can effectively get the message of the gospel out. Then will I teach transgressors thy ways. I preach and ain't nobody getting saved. Come on now. I witness and ain't nobody getting saved. Come on now, spirit-filled believers. You'll have something nobody else will. You'll have the touch of God on you. And I'm not saying I know spirit-filled men of God that's preached and labored. Nothing happened and nobody moved. I'm not saying that's always the case. So don't, don't, oh, John, no, I've went my seasons without seeing people saved. You go your seasons. But if it is a consistent, continual, I can't witness and nobody get under conviction. I can't pass out a track and nobody get troubled. I can't get up and preach on hell and nobody get upset about it. And it seems like God's grieved. i tell you what I do, and I've done it before, neighbor. I'm going to go get in the Word of God and look in the mirror and say, Lord, show me. Because I don't want to waste people's time and pastor's time preaching these revival meetings. Me backslid as a billy goat and nobody getting saved, nobody getting right with God and old a pastor of church and have junk in your heart and you sit back and beat the people over the head and holler at everybody. You, somebody's grieving the Holy Ghost. To my shame, Brother Nick, there's been a handful of times in meetings, revival meetings, tent meetings, and even at the camp meeting, the Holy Spirit of God be grieved. And I'm going around looking for who's grieving it. You ever do that? Man, this thing's tight. We've got to find out why it's tight. We, it, it, something ain't right around here. Then the Holy Spirit say, would you like to know who it is? Yes, Lord, I'll ask him to leave now. God say something to me like this. Thou art the man. It's you, buddy. A lot of times we blame the devil for tearing our meetings down and, and, and boy oh, I tell you the devil's fighting most of the time it ain't the devil it's God resisting the proud blame it on the devil it's God saying you ain't right and I'm not going to bless your mess get right with God lastly tonight not just so we can win sinners to God what about it? What about it? I don't do it as often as I should, and I'm probably using too many personal illustrations tonight, but I, I just want to be transparent and give you my heart tonight. But I wonder how many of us parents have got children going to hell that if we'd just get right with God, I'm serious as a heart attack. 
quit blaming everybody else, quit blaming everybody else's sin, quit blaming the problems in your marriage, the problems in your church. Well, if I just had the money or, or boy, if we could just get a better choir or, or, you know, if a song leader would just get filled with God and if the Sunday school teachers would cotton pick and wake up and study the Bible every once in a while, and, and you know, then, well, if the preacher would do, I am fairly convinced, Brother Larry K. Rames taught me at a young age, you can bloom anywhere you are no matter what. Is that right? You wonder why they're going to hell. I'm going to check my inventory. I'm going to see what's in the corridors of my heart. Get right with God, lastly, so my mouth will be right. He said, O Lord, open thou my lips, and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. The mouth reveals what's in the heart. Oh, you got some smart aleck comment, criticism, innuendous, uh, rudeness, bitterness coming out of your mouth. That's, that's what's in your heart. How do you know, Brother John? How do you know for sure that's the way it is? Ain't none of your business how I know. All right, I, I hope that was enough said. You want your mouth to be right so we can praise God? Speaking about the blessings, talking about the Bible, fellowshipping with other believers. I, I love it. I, I was kind of hoping he'd show up tonight, maybe tomorrow night. If you could talk your daddy into coming, I'd love to see him again. But I couldn't tell you the days that him and I have sat down. He never told me what was going on in the church, hardly. Never. Every once in a while he'd name somebody and he'd pray for this one. But he'd never go into no details. I didn't know much about that church at all as far as any trouble or underlying. All me and him ever did was talk about the Bible. And I understand there's times when you got to talk about things. But for him at that time and me at that time, I just wasn't that man for him. I was there with my Bible in my hand, ready to pray and ready to talk about the Bible. Uh, hopefully it be an encouragement, but he was more of an encouragement to me. I know you got to have people you seek counsel from and seek wisdom from on and on and on and on and on. But oh, if that's all you got coming out of your mouth is what's bothering you instead of what's blessing you. Church, may I ask you as we stand all over the building, let's stand. I want to ask a question, Brother Nick, whatever you want to do, you want to move on, have an invitation. Andrew, J.D., Miss Deborah, Brother Nick wants you to come play something on the piano if you don't mind, please, ma'am. And, boy, get the, get the sweet water flowing instead of the bitter water all the time. We're praying, Father, as we bow in your presence, Brother Nick's going to come. I pray that you bless us with your presence. I pray that you touch us. Lord, I'm confident we don't have to have a whole lot of singing tonight, but you've, you've sent a message. And God, I bless you for it and praise you and worship you and magnify you in Jesus' name. God sent a great revival. Fill us with your spirit in Christ's name. Help somebody to get right with God tonight. Speak to me, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. We're every head bowed, every eye closed. If you need to come tonight, won't you find it? Well, if I go to the altar after a message like that, people will think I'm wicked. Who cares what people think? The altar ain't for perfect people. <laughs> it's for people like me and people like you. Find your place on this altar and get you some help from God tonight.